Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Here with Benji Nice and for the recap at stage 13 of Vuelta a España from Belmez to Villa Nueva de la Serena. 203Ks, the only sprint stage of this second week. We have no categorized clients, an intermediate sprint, 12Ks from the finish, and then roundabouts in the run into the finish and a few chicanes, particularly they're unfortunately at that nexus, just like ones at 3.5Ks. So the GC guys are going to be nervous trying to come into that in front, whereas it's the sprint teams also want to be at the front there. So that really livened up the finale of this race. But this show is supported by our show partner, LaCole. They produce performance cycling apparel. And if you want to pick up any LaCole items, they have a sale on at the moment, the LR Vuelta 20, that's LR Vuelta 20, all caps discount code, gives you 20% off on top of already discounted LaCole items. So you can check them out at www.lacole.com. Dot .cc. Benji, you're on breakaway watch. I'll reserve my bird story for after you've told us the race situation. Yes, uh, as usual, we had uh, the normal, typical breakaway in this kind of stage. You know you know that it's going to be the wildcard teams with the likes of, uh, well, Oiskaltel and so forth in the front group. And we had Quadros in there. We had Rubio and Luis Angel Mate. And that was the, um, the breakaway for today. So you know that teams like Upama, DSM and the Koenig, the ones with sprinters, are going to be chasing down, and that's exactly what they did. Now, they eventually had a solid gap of at least two minutes, roughly, with 65k to go, and uh, should hit the fan in the peloton, because suddenly, echelons. I couldn't really tell if it was one team or multiple teams getting it together, because it felt like just a lot of teams trying to force an echelon, the likes of Abora, a lot of Sudel was helping out. We had everyone except for GC teams that are Movistar and Yumbo. Yumbo was sitting uh, a bit towards the end of the first echelon because the gap actually opened up in the peloton and Movistar was actually called out for a bit. So I guess they were sleeping for a bit, but that echelon takes like two minutes until they change direction and then realize, okay, there might not be enough wind anymore to keep going. And I want to throw a question to you because in this Velta, we've often seen attempts at echelons during a stage with like 60, 70k to go. Don't you need like a full-on set plan for an echelon at 70-60k to go because it's extremely unlikely that other teams will start kicking in and help you out at keeping the echelon going because 90% of the time it just stops 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 going the echelon in this race so far I don't know I think I, I just don't see the teams as you said wanting to actually you know collaborate with each other say Movistar drop Roglic in echelons Benji they've got Verona Rojas Erviti half of them are on you know very very tired slash injured then Bahrain what Arashira and Tratnik Tratnik's not looking in good shape it's just not the Ineos don't even have Royal Kwiatkowski Dylan Van Baal crashed yesterday so it's not just the wind direction that's important. As you said, it's like, do the teams even have the riders to do this, to keep this going for, what, an hour and a half is a long time. So yeah, certainly. That's, that's why I think it's not really happening. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, eventually that brought the uh, gap to the breakaway down by a lot and they were caught at a notable distance from the finish line. And uh, well, should would go loose again at the end of the stage. But the teams that were rolling towards the front before everything went down in the last 10 kilometers were the likes of the Koenig once again. And we also saw DSM have a like seven man lead out or something. I love it. Uh, <laughs> every time at like 15k to go... <laughs> <laughs> they they tend to bring their train forwards and then at the end they don't have enough riders to help or they do the opposite where they try and get to the front at 3k to go and then run out by the time the sprint starts so i don't know it's uh it's an odd side but it's enjoyable to see because it makes memes and i like memes so well, to be honest mind. they may as well because they don't have a proper lead out men for Dainese in the last k anyway that they can bring him for they don't have a mess yeah, but the problem with seven riders is that they often just get overlapped and when, when you have eight riders in a row, then the last rider, your sprinter, is too far back to move up himself when the train goes goes to shit. So that's usually one of the problem with Kisbol as well. Once he has a long lead-out train set out ahead of him at like 15k to go, he's so far behind in the train that the train gets overlapped by other trains and he is unable to move up because they've got too many people there. And I think that's an issue that they have a lot and worked again to get today because his positioning was troublesome in the last 10 kilometers until he had to move up in the end. But uh, yeah, something happened, didn't it? Well, I mean, I wanted to insert my bird story. I went, again, I refused to watch these sprint stages um, during most of the stage. So I went and saw the lads that were up there, found their nest as well, saw the local donkeys, the Great Pyrenees, I call them Albert as well. It was the zoological lantern tour of my local area. Um, Pyrenees, had a, he's had a issue with his head but he's like he's so old i don't think he could even fight a wolf anymore but anyway the Jesus. as i mentioned at the top of the show the mixture of the gc teams and the and the lead out trains particularly with alperson not having philipson anymore it, it just keeps creating these dicey situations and jakobson had un, uncontested gone for the intermediate sprint he with no Phillips in here. And we saw, again, like we mentioned the other day, Benji, did you notice it? It was like, uh, go and watch everyone, 5.5, 5.6 goes to go. Cone Bowman, I think. Roglic is at the back. They're laying off the wheel. They're not in the mix. Bowman tries to move up the gutter on the left-hand side. The peloton starts to move over a little bit. Roglic like, nah. He just stayed at the back, refused to move up at that point which is the smart decision. So what we said the other day, it's the moving up has caused him the problem in the Tour de France and it's better to just lay off if you're not even in a good position at that point. Whereas Bernal, Pidcock actually had him in a really good spot today right at the front of the peloton. It's, uh, Dylan Bernal might be a little bit injured. But you're watching the, the right-hand corner, 3.5 k's to go, 500 metres before the golden arches of safety, 3 k's to go. You're watching what happened in that corner, Benji, because all of a sudden the race split apart. Yes, we had the Koenig still going ham at the front of the peloton and actually setting up the tempo going into that corner. And we saw that Bernal was in the wheel of Pitcock and he was sitting just next to the train of the Koenig. So they're going parallel next to each other, but obviously the Koenig train has more effort because they have more riders and are punching it much harder at the front, while Pitcock is just a bit on the left side of that train going into the corner of that roundabout because it's basically 90 degrees to the right with the roundabout that they need to go. And what happens there is that Bernal seems to take that corner much lower than the De Koenig riders because he probably wants to be sure that he doesn't crash in the corner and he wants to play it a bit more safely. But that causes the first three riders of the Koenig to get a gap of like, 
oh, was like five, 10 meters initially with Trenton on the wheel. And then you've got a gap with Pitcock having to close it down with Bernal in the wheel and the entire peloton stretched out. So Bernal moving back in that roundabout corner section caused the gap to open up and caused the entire peloton basically to be a bit blocked and not to jump on the wheel of the Koenig there. And the Koenig had a uh, great lead out today, but their problem was that three riders with the Koenig at the front, but where's Jakobsen? He's sitting uh, on the wheel of, of Pitcock and Bernal. And that's not an ideal position, you know? And th- those guys are diminutive figures. They're not exactly providing him the best draft either. Like he's eating a lot of wind as compared to being behind Van Leeberger, Cherny and Seneschal, who are, you know, twice the size. So Pitcock does a... He does a good job initially. In fact, he does a good, quite a good job throughout their last from like uh, 1,500 metres after the three-kilometre banner because I think Bernal and Ineos are aware there might be a split. They Pitcock brings Bernal and uh, Jakobsen back to the wheel of Trenton, who's parked behind the three quick-steppers, which is Van Leeberger, uh, Seneschal. Who's the, who's the third one? Probably Cherny still. And then there's another roundabout. He loses it. Gets back to them. Jakobsen's come over the top of Bernal because he's like, I need to get back to the quick step train. Eventually he does. He gets back to Trenton's wheel with like two kilometers to go. Alperson have also got there. So it's three quick steppers Trenton, Jakobsen, Alperson with Krieger Modlo. It's all looking like it's back together. And suddenly at 1900 meters to go, Jakobsen loses the wheel of Trenton and the three quick steppers go again with Trenton with them. And I, I thought immediately, I thought he's not feeling good or 100%. He's just had to do a lot of work he didn't expect. And he's lost the wheel because they've got a three-on-one advantage and it screws over Alperson behind him. That was my immediate thought. Um, like, What did you think there, Benji? Because it tactically kind of makes sense. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. And uh, it wasn't until the end of the race that we found out what actually happened to Jakobsen, which was a, a puncture and... Looking back in hindsight at that moment, 1,900 meters to go, he actually makes a little jump with his bike to test out the pressure in his tires. So it seems like indeed it's it's confirmed that indeed it's a flat tire unless he accidentally makes a jump to, to check his pressure tire. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the gap opened up and uh, Jakobsen was uh, basically falling through the group and we had Krieger trying to move up just behind the Trenton plus three De Koenig riders and you got to keep in mind, De Koenig is now riding with Seneschal as their sprinter because Jakobsen apparently said through the radio, you got to go, guys. I, I, can't, I can't do it because I've got a flat tire, apparently. So uh, And Bernal. Yeah. Yeah. Bernal's trying to close to, to Alperson in the wind. He's doing a huge effort because we have GC splits. Roglic group is behind. And I'll, I'll speak about, about this afterwards, but... You know, to focus on the lead out. Sorry, Benji, but yeah, it's it's GC action here as well. Where I guess with the three second protocol, I don't think it matters too much. But who is the when you saw Trenton there and you saw Alperson come back with seven hundred meters to go? It actually wasn't a great spot for quick step. Five hundred and fifty meters, six hundred with a tired, uh, I think Van Leerberger leading out Seneschal. With Trenton and Krieger and Modelo on the wheel, I don't know. It, it really like wasn't advantageous for Seneschal, and I think when when was the last time Seneschal got to go for his own sprint? Benji was it back in confidence days. Well, didn't he have like a? I re- I vaguely remember a race this year where Vanderpool broke his his steer or something, and Seneschal did something there, but I don't know if it was a sprint or an attack, so I can't tell you. 
Classico de, Alme- de Almeria. He actually came behind Nizzolo and beat Martin last. So he's Senechal's like a he's a good lead out man in that he I don't think his top end is high, but he's got a big engine, he's a big guy. And um yeah, he, he got the chance to sprint today. He Krieger jumps over the top of him very, very early. I, I really don't know what Alperson were trying to do here with De Modolo was still behind and Krieger's tried to jump across and sort of creates that gap which screws over Dainese and Mezgetz. And he provides a draft. Just, Seneschal has to bridge across him because Van Leeberger couldn't do it. Now we have a trio of Krieger basically giving a lead out because I guess Philipson's not here, so why not? And Seneschal comes out of the wheel. Trenton has been getting the perfect sit. Seneschal on the barriers from 140 metres. And Trenton, he just can't come over the top of Seneschal, Benji. And honestly... This was perfect for Trenton. He got to sit on the back of the quick step train from three Ks to go. He's not sprinting against anyone that fast. He got the lead out from Seneschal who had to close in the wind. You have to say he'd be pretty disappointed not to actually win this stage, particularly after yesterday's disappointment. Yes, certainly. And uh, I think that this is the opportunity because Seneschal, I don't rate him extremely high as a flat sprint reader. So I rate them relatively similar on a flat sprint, but it seems like Seneschal just had a better of them today despite the train having to go really early because if you're at 3k to go and you've got a four-man train with the Koenig then that's a lot for three kilometers with four riders and they had to pace a lot and they had to keep going and it's also thanks to the continuous strength of the leadouts for Seneschal even though he was planned to be lead out because they they just did better than I would have expected them to keep up and they kept it up really highly and were able to keep off a Dainese who was trying to come from behind so that's also an important factor because Anese might also have been tired, but that man has been jumping over people in the last 300 meters in this race, trying to get to the wheel of Trenton, trying to get to Seneschal, and he just couldn't. So the Seneschal-Trenton sprint was still decent enough to keep Dainese and so forth behind, but uh, what a finish that was. Absolutely amazing, and uh, I think one of those crazy finals that remind me of the days where uh, Froome decided to go on a bit of an adventure in the last few kilometers on a flat stage. It was kind of like that. So the puncture theory is debunked, Benji. I'm just seeing on the Vuelta yeah. Twitter, Jakobsen's given an interview and I'm trusting their translation. Well, actually, no, it, he would have said it in English. Uh, I tried to close the gap, but I couldn't. I didn't have the legs to sprint, so I told Florian he should do the sprint. So it was our, our instincts were correct, Benji, that he – isn't it funny how the uh, the team Twitter and it, they immediately go into cope mode and they're like, it's not his legs, you have puncture. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that's really heads-up play from – well, I don't know if it is a heads-up play from Jakobsen, to be honest, Benji. It puts Seneschal, like if there was anyone who had a decent kick in his – like Mez gets in his wheel, I think they win this this sprint. And I think Jakobsen with busted legs still wins this by two bike lengths on everybody. So, um, but yeah. still – Quick step one, um, I just think it, it could have worked out a little bit differently. Maybe they put him over the limit a bit too much. Do they even need to – like, Benji, do you honestly see with 2Ks to go, Alperson coming over the top for the glorious Sasha Modelo train and then beating Jakobsen? No, I didn't see it coming at all. Like, <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. But, like, it does surprise me a bit how he lost the wheel like that. Although it must have been a really high speed knowing how the entire peloton just fell apart in the last few kilometers, you know. so. Uh, yeah, what a crazy finish. And uh, I think that this does prove that some of those sprint stages that are destined to be sprint stages can magically uh, become very intriguing in the latter part of a race. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. But most importantly, 
I um was surprised to see Bernal fight for it so much. Like he always like, does. At, at first, you have the gap that Pitcock is closing at. I think it was already at two point eight k to go, and my surprise there was that the peloton was still together. Roglic was still in the same group, and Pitcock was trying to close down four riders from the Koenig trying to get away. Now, perhaps he thought, okay, I can actually split up the group behind. That is a, a valid thing, but it just surprised me that they were willing to chase down for the Koenig riders that they shouldn't care about on paper. But uh, hey, anyway, they gained a few seconds. If the uh, time is correct, right? Uh, has it been counted yeah. as, as six on seconds? PCS or? is five, six seconds. Uh, I honestly, the, the, the application of the three-second rule, it can be stretched to hundreds of meters yeah. with the guys, especially like Krieger drops back and he then provides like a, he extends it even further. So it's, yeah, I think um, in my view, all this effort, if you do this, say every sprint stage, you're trying to stay up front, you do it, 15 20 times a year you might gain five seconds today it's um i don't think the risk reward is really worth it personally i, I like I, I think gc guys underestimate or underestimate how much the three second rule really extends that gap and honestly i think they should really look at the data on crashes around the three kilometer rule gc teams and think like we're seeing rollish now just don't be up in the mix just like literally lay off at the back. But anyway, isn't really. It's not going to change GC. Bernard interview a few seconds. I'm not really seeing him coming too good in the third week anyway. But at least he's still up there and fighting. Tomorrow's stage in the world. It's actually uh, Seneschal's only only his third ever win, Benji, and his only World Tour win. He's not only bad. won the Semaine and Druven Kurs. Although it's kind of surprising. I mean, is Druven Kurs like more prestigious than like uh, I don't know. The quick step is pretty good, I guess. But yeah, first world tour in Grand Tour. Sorry, I was waiting for a reference, but it didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and the most important part about that race this year is that it's uh, basically the World Champs Parkour, or at least a part of it. So uh, if you if you take the Grand Prix Jeffskeren's Leuven and you combine it with the Driving Course Overijse, you've got the World Champs Parkour. It's basically that. So uh, if you didn't know that, useless fact of the day. Nonetheless, let's talk about tomorrow's parkour, stage 14. From Don Benito to Pico Biwercas, 166Ks long, a very odd stage with a Rampas in Humanas, smack back in the middle, Alto Collado de Palosteros, 3Ks, 13.5%, 3Ks. That's... It's outrageous, just in the middle of the stage. I don't know what's going to happen there. Then they have the final climb, which is the opposite. It's long, but it's at 6.3%. I'm trying to see how regular it is. It actually has a steeper K in the middle, 10%. The finish is quite steep. Looks like a Roglic finish to me, Benji, to be honest, if he's on form to take some bonus seconds. If I'm Roglic, I want to be aggressive tomorrow, maintain the break. He's not... Try and maintain the break, not go crazy on that first climb and let the break take the bonification at 122. And then, yeah, I think he can he can take bonus on the, the last climb. And uh, if he's been consistent with being aggressive after the rest day, which he has been, then, yeah, if they can – do you think they can control the break, Benji? Because like, that middle climb is going to put a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble for their whole team really, except him and Coots. Depends on how hard people want to go on it, you know, because like – they can 
push a bit harder beforehand. We've had so many battles for the breakaway these last few days that took 70, 80 kilometers. And if that stuff happens for 70, 80 kilometers, then you're basically almost at the start of the climb in the middle of the stage. So that might open up attacks coming on the climb itself. But if that doesn't happen, I mean, if you've got a breakaway already gone before the before the climb starts, then they can ride it at the pace they want at the um, condition that they can try and crawl it back afterwards. Because if they can't, well, that's a bit of a problem. But we saw on a few stages already how quickly a gap can melt these days. But ah, it's hard to predict these stages because we've got mountain stages coming four times in the next week. They can't all go to the GC. Like At least one needs to go to the breakaway in my eyes. But I feel like this might be the one that it's hard to say. Is this going to be GC or breakaway? Like, you're so so eager to say Roglic, but I dare to give the break a chance. I mean, Stora. <laughs> DSN, certainly from the break, should want to try with Bardet, Stora. Bardet looked good yesterday on that final steeper section of that climb. Yeah, I, I, DSM will try for sure. And it's... I expect maybe the break to form on that Puerto Berzocana, the 7.5K, mm-hmm. 6% Benji with about, God, it'd be 77Ks done. Like, it could be a, it'll be a big fight for the break again. So, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for Yumbo to control and I think DSM will certainly try. Unfortunately for Movistar, they've just, you know, they've lost riders. It'd be tough. I don't think they can send Verona in a break. It's too risky. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about Ineos? Carapaz Benji's look bad. Will he suddenly find his legs tomorrow? Because he could win on his normal level from the break. Uh, I doubt it a bit because yesterday he started dropping on one of the hills in the middle of the stage. And if that happens, then you either think, oh, he's not trying or he's dropping completely. But there's no reason for him to not stay in the group yesterday, I feel like. So, uh, I don't know. It, it felt a bit weird to see him drop on the first of the of the two climbs yesterday and that might indicate me into saying that I'm not sure I trust him for the next week either. So I guess we'll see. I can't tell you uh, whether Carapaz will do well or not because uh, he's been a bit inconsistent lately and I'm not sure if it's on purpose or not these last few days. Nonetheless, like if I have to say someone in the breakaway, you're right, that store could literally win another mountain stage. But are there people that are sitting close to top 10-ish in GC that could also go in the breakway and take some time because I'd love to see Junomater go in the breakway in one of the upcoming stages. I'm not sure this is the perfect one for it, but uh, I feel like this one or that one with the um, Mijares climb 17 or 18 uh, might be the one where I do expect Mater to do something like that. Um, the likes of Juan P. Lopez, I've said it already, but then again, they they might want to keep him with Chicone because otherwise they don't have anyone with Chicone over the climbs. Mankey's in the breakaway, something I want to see. Uh, Caruso is going to try and go in breakaways again for K1 points, but I'm not sure this stage might be the best one for it. So no, I think there's a few. Uh, they'll yep. go on the break. Bahrain okay. certainly, I think, will even try and send riders uh, multiple in the break. Landa, Caruso, Padua, yep. and I think now, yeah, it really makes sense. And if you have multiple there, maybe one can go for the stage and. You know, one can help Hay because this final climb suits Haig a bit more. Who's you know he's not sixty kilos. He's got a higher absolute watt. Six to seven percent is better for the likes of him. Mader, I think, um, 
So yeah, it'd be really interesting. I'm hoping there's a big GC battle. I'm yep. hoping Movistar try test Roglic with a one-two, maybe in the last three kilometers. Now for the recap of stages two and three, even though there was a prologue, so it's like the third and fourth race days of the Simac Ladies Tour Women's World Tour race. Thanks for continuing on with us. If you're listening on podcast players. Just a quick note on our show partner, LaCole. They've increased their commitment to women's cycling. They've extended their sponsorship of Drops LaCole, I think, out through 2023 now. So that news broke the other week. But this race, yesterday was a TT. It was a long TT, 17Ks long. We thought the big favourites were Ellen van Dijk and Marlon Ruysa. It was pancake flat. This is all in the Netherlands from Hennep to Hennep and uh, yeah that that was exactly how it played out Benji with with Royce actually taking the win with some pretty big time gaps actually she beat Van Dijk by 18 seconds then a 41 second gap to Vandenbroek Black Klein on 50 Norsgaard who you said might do well she actually did do pretty well fifth at 101 then Vollering at 118 Seroy and Julie Leth on 128 then Barnes and Costa rounding up the top 10 I guess this is just a continuation of Royce's uh, Olympics form Benji yes it seems like it Seems like the uh, the prologue was not really a, a clear view on how her time trial was going to be on the longer time trial here. Seems like that longer time trial was uh, significantly better for Reuser. And uh, I think I mentioned that Van Dyke would be my rider for this. Seems like she was beaten straight on because I uh, I was reading up on like the live updates of the race and we hear times of, I think it was 11 minutes at one of the time gaps. And then suddenly Marlon Reuser just beat everybody by half a minute flying past. And at that point, I was like, okay, she must be in good form today. <laughs> and eventually uh, that led to the victory. So certainly uh, she was second, I think, at the Olympics ITT. And uh, once again, confirming that longer time trials are the ones she is good at. Uh, any other things to note? I think Ludwig losing uh, two minutes here is a bit of a, the thing we mentioned on the prologue discussion where the more explosive riders do better on prologues which is a relatively obvious statement but it is shown right now in in data as well with with Ludwig being more explosive but when it comes to longer time trials falling behind other people that way so uh yeah interesting to see and uh a wonderful victory here but uh Lena Wibis also an example of one of those explosive riders that does better on a prologue than a uh, full-on time trial so this then changed the gc to have sd works best rider as vandenbroek black on 39 their second best volering at 119 and yeah i think royce uh i think probably better on the road than van dyke at the moment anyway so trek had obviously hosking i think they've got hosking here for the sprints so how they balance gc and sprints to probably just go for hosking so royce are in the in the lead on gc going into stage Three, which was from Stramproy to Viet, 176Ks, Pancake Flat again. I think they do a lap of the finish line, like 30Ks from the finish. We do have a sharp bend, long bend actually with 125 inches to go, it looked like to me before the finish line. Remind me of the Brabantipale finish, except not uphill where <laughs> Alaphilippe beat MVDP and Kosnifra yep. in 2020. Remind me, very similar to that. you got to punch, you got to be punched out of there very fast. And otherwise, we have... Pretty regulation race, Benji, with uh, the sprint teams controlling a lot better today. Yes, certainly. We had uh, some attackers here and there, and it was more the likes of a, a GT crash rider attacking here or there, like Quinty Ton attacking twice or three times in the race, getting a bit of a lead of 20 seconds and being caught again. We had plenty of people attacking around the 45 to uh, 
to 40 kilometer Mon because there were a lot of bends there and it allowed just for a lot of attacks and there was a bit of chaos there with people trying to make something of this race, not necessarily for the sprinter aspect of it. And eventually that led to one rider again getting away, Dunnick Hengeveld, same rider that got caught in the last two kilometers on the uh, the stage where uh, Lorena Wibis crashed in oh, a healthy aging tour with that chicane in the end. She was caught with... Yes. 200 meters to go with Danny Kangaville. So it seems to be a rider that tends to do this kind of stuff a lot and uh, seems to be pretty good at it because she was the longest rider when it comes to staying away for that portion of the broadcast, at least. And uh, once she got caught, it eventually got back together and the peloton was seemingly going towards a mass sprint. And we had all the teams kind of putting someone at the front and doing something, but not necessarily a team taking over and controlling it completely. And that's obvious because there's no one to chase so they can save their energy a bit they can spend the little amount of riders that they need to spend on just keeping the tempo going and getting themselves to the sprint but at a certain point we had a uh we had a rough crash and it seemed to be i think Gloria Wibis who went down that was what the commentator said but i personally don't have confirmation on it myself but uh it apparently was yeah it looked like she well it didn't look like her her tire it slipped off the road to the left hand side and there's a uh, a fair lip on the side of the road and then gravel on the left-hand side. Once her tyre hits gravel, she she loses her front wheel, goes down. It's a very narrow road. And we had SD Works at the front, so they have most of their team, almost all of it gets through. And behind Vibas, everyone gets caught caught behind. And so we, we literally have a break of, I think, four SD Works riders and two of the DSM lead out who are going to be leading out the end of Evers. So another sprint victory opportunity denied for Vibas this Simac Ladies Tour and indeed in Dutch stage races this year. The riders to make it through were Amy Peters, Demi Vollering, Chantal van den Broek Black, and Lonica Uniken, the four SD Works riders, and Susanna Anderson, who is actually quite quick. She came second in one of those Norway sprints, and Pfeiffer Georgie, the British rider for DSM. So the question was, well, obviously SD Works are going to ride. They rode, <laughs> they, they rode full to the finish. But Vanderbilt Black is their GC rider, I think, here, and she's – you know, a fair bit behind. She's got to make up a fair bit on Marlon Ruissa. There's bonus seconds, I presume, at the finish. We've got Demi Vollering, who's super fast. Who are they going to sprint for? Lonica Unikin's also got a punch on her. And it seemed like they went full for Lonica Unikin. She went through that the last corner. I think first wheel opened up with Anderson and Fife, Fife of Georgie on her wheel and beat them easily in the sprint with Vollering not really... Yeah, she basically let Unikin go for the sprint today and Vanderbilt Black didn't take any bonus seconds, but she was able to take a fair bit of time. Uh, the gap was 14 seconds to two riders, Voss and Bastianelli, from that group of six, and then another 20, then 29 seconds to uh, where in Marlon Royce's group, which is a larger group, and then other riders like Ultra Ludwig losing 49 and then groups even further behind um so in terms of gc royce is now only 10 seconds she keeps the jersey because she got such a big gap on the tt keeps the jersey 10 seconds out of vanderbilt black van dyke drops down to third 12 seconds by and then klein at 40 second 47 vollering up to fifth on 50 seconds so lonica unikin benji she is she is the future i reckon she's won simak ladies <laughs> to a stage help the aging to a stage balwaza ladies to a stage this year 21 years old 
she is uh, looking very, very good. Yeah, and it's it's only recently that I honestly found out how decent their sprint is in, in reduced bunch sprints because in that lady store, Bawaza lady store, it was also in a in a sprint that she ended up winning. So honestly, she's uh, performing on all kinds of terrains, and while they might have been lucky today, likely with the crash, because otherwise it would have been a sprint, and she would not very likely have been the winner of that sprint. Well. It's still a wonderful performance and it is not super easy to beat Suzanne Anderson in a sprint either because we saw last week in the Tour of Norway when she sprinted to second in that first stage that she has a good kick as well. So uh, yeah, good performance and uh, she keeps on uh, moving up on the rankings of SD Works it seems. So uh, curious to see when she's going to pop up in the, uh, the bigger races because I feel like despite her having had good results. We haven't seen her at the top races like a Tour of Flanders or something like that yet. So uh, it's going to be hard to get into that selection, though, knowing how decent the riders on SD works are. As in, I think Vandenbroek Black is retiring after the Classics next year. Obviously, AVDB is retiring this year. Marlon Rooster, who's leading this race, 29 years old, she's had a bit of a late development. This is her first year at Ali BTC Ljubljana where she's flourishing and her TT is, is flying. She's actually off to SD Works next year, which is uh, terrifying <laughs> in itself. So, But yeah, tomorrow stage from Helene to Schweikhuizen, 150k long, a r- actual rolly parkour here. We have loads of short climbs, like 500, uh, 400 meters, 5%, 300 meters at 7% multiple times i think we're going to see sd works mount an attack on royce tomorrow with vulnerable black or unican or any number of their riders i think they're going to try and turn the gc upside down tomorrow benji yeah probably i feel like it's uh the day of the week where stuff can really happen and i had the feeling that Today was seen as a classified hill stage but throughout the parkour it didn't really feel like that because if you look at the parkour when it's 20 meters and hide the hill it's not really a a hill stage in my eyes but i guess they have to they have to look for very tiny hills there to uh actually specify a race like that but indeed that is uh tomorrow the uh proper hill stage of this parkour but again it's only 300 meters at six to five percent so it's not the end of the world it's not liege kind of climbs I uh, I think that Lonica Unikin is going to do pretty well in that one as well, to be honest, uh, based on the climbing we saw at Healthy Aging Tour. And her performance is there. She should on paper be able to get over these hills relatively well. I think it's going to be a good stage to watch, um, and I'm not sure it's going to be a bunch sprint. I wish Lotta Kapeki, I don't think, is here for Lotta Sudal. I think she would have been strong. Emma Norsgaard yep. is obviously the big... The big danger as well. If if yeah. it goes to the finish and Vibers might be a big bang bit banged up, Norsgaard is going to be very, very difficult to beat in this finish. As well as of course Mariana Voss. It's a slightly client, stuff like that. True. Yeah, Voss is yeah. certainly uh one of those riders and with the Ludwig as well, even though I feel like the hills are perhaps not strong enough for that to happen. Yeah, should be a good finish. Might be uh group sprint but i'm expecting st works to try something for gc tomorrow but we hope you enjoyed the recap of simac ladies tour stages two and three we'll have the recap of stages four and five after the race finishes stage five is the last stage on sunday but if you like this recap like it down below if you're watching on youtube give us a review on podcast players and we'll see you uh with some more vuelta action tomorrow ciao 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 